0: hiking is something that personally i love to do as i'm sure many of you listening do as well but every so often i get that feeling of being watched or feel like something doesn't want me in the area that i'm in i'd love to know in the comments if any of you have ever felt this while hiking welcome back to the swamp my friends and welcome if you're new today i'm going to be sharing some creepy and allegedly true hiking horror stories sent in by viewers just like you As always, if you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, whether it's a hiking story or something different, be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I would love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. It's stories like yours that help keep this show going on a daily basis. Now, without further ado, sit back, relax, and get ready for these creepy and allegedly true hiking horror stories that'll freak you out tonight. I'm not incredibly good at writing, so I apologize if this is not as good as the other stories you've read. However, I would love it if you would read this on the show, as it is probably a surreal experience hearing my story. Anyways, I do have an account to share, so I like going on hikes with my friends in the summer to a creek behind our house. On the way to the creek, there was always a cement building. It is not exactly a building, more like a big cement box. There is no doorway, but it is decently sized. Maybe the size of an RV or taller. We have never thought much of it. You find all sorts of odd things in the woods. One time in the early summer, like June, my friend decided to do a more in-depth look around. We just finished watching an episode of Stranger Things, which at the time we thought was super scary, so we were in the mood to find something spooky. First we checked around the cement rectangle and found a small slit at the bottom in the back. It looked like one of those small narrow windows that you would find in basements. We dug in the dirt until we had a big enough opening to squeeze through. When we got in, we started realizing our situation. We were in a concrete box with a tiny rectangle hole that took us 15 minutes to get through. My friend even started hyperventilating, so we decided to call one of our friends just to lighten the mood. So we called and showed him the box, and after about five minutes of talking to him, he suddenly said, get out of there now. My stomach dropped, and I could feel myself getting pale. We hurriedly made our way out. I say impatiently, but it was probably five to 10 minutes When we made it out, we asked our friend what he saw. We thought he was pranking us, but he's not that type. He is the kind of friend that laughs at every one of your jokes. He said he saw a dark figure hunched over in the corner. We told him it was impossible. We looked around the whole room and didn't see anything. He described it as just a pitch black figure hunched over in the corner. Like how you think that SCP-096 monster would look. I do not know if this was a practical joke which you probably think it is, but I know our friend better. He said he didn't even see a passing glimpse. He just saw it or him. There was nothing in the box, nothing to mistake as a person. We have never visited that box again and never planned to. Unfortunately, I have no contact with either of them because that was a year ago, and I have moved. Thank you for reading my story if you choose to. swamp dweller it's vince again i hadn't planned to write you again but after the positive reviews and my friends continuing to encourage me i decided to write you again i'm going to share with you and your viewers of one of the most bizarre experiences i've had while hunting these creatures i know my stories are a bit different than the usual stories you receive but i hope you still enjoy it so this takes place a few years after the previous story i sent in I had been on a few successful hunts and had learned a decent amount about these things. I'd see a comment that called them Gugway, so I will use that term from here on out. It's nice to have a name to these things regardless if it's right or not. So I had kill a few of these Gugway, but hadn't seen any in a few months. I believed I had run them out of the area and didn't really know how to find them again. I had the idea to use the BFRO website to look up sightings that may match the behavior of the Gugway versus a regular Bigfoot. After searching for I don't even remember how long, I finally found a sighting from around Connor, Montana about a shorter Bigfoot climbing into a tree. Finally, I thought. It made sense to me that the Gugway would travel further north away from the area that I was in. I called my boss saying I was sick and I needed a few days off, packed my gear, and took off for Montana. It wasn't an overly long drive, and I was in Connor by the end of the day. I knew by then that they moved primarily at night and did not want to be making my way into the mountains in the dark where they had the advantage. So I stayed in my car that night and set off in the morning to the area of the sighting. It was around mid-May, so the weather was fairly nice, and I enjoyed the hike into the backcountry. I made it to the area by noon and had begun scouting for any signs. I learned to look for subtle things like branches broken too high up to be from an elk or a moose, or scratches in the bark too high up to be a bear. I wasn't having any luck finding anything and spent the next few days roaming the valleys looking for anything and spending the nights up on the ridges out of the trees. Being May, I didn't need to build a fire, so I would sit up at night looking down into the valley with my thermal scope, while wrapped in an insulated blanket to hide my shape. One night I saw a sow grizzly with two of her cubs below me into the valley. I remember thinking to myself that the odds of the Gugway, who I believed to be an apex predator and a grizzly who I knew was an apex predator, being in the same area was extremely slim and decided to move the next valley over the following day. As they disappeared into the trees and out of view, I scanned back to my left and saw a flash of orange in the trees about 300 yards below me. I focused on the area but couldn't find what it was again. I scanned right back in the direction of the grizzly and could see the mother had come back where I could see her, and she was standing up sniffing the air staring in the direction where I had seen the flash. The mother bear had to be close to 7 feet herself and was at least 600 to 700 pounds easily. I thought to myself that there is absolutely no way that a Gugway was going to try this bear. As I had that thought I scanned back to the left and could see between the swaying of the trees and their cool blue branches that a fire red heat signature was showing through. It was roughly 20 feet up the tree and 50 yards from the mother bear. Was I about to see this? I remember thinking. I scanned back to the bear and she was now facing the opposite direction. I looked that way again, I saw red showing from between branches in that direction as well. There were two Gugway on either side of the bear. They were hunting her or her cubs. Back to the bear, I could see she was still standing, but both cubs were now at her side, and she was looking back and forth. I was in shock at this point. I had my suspicions about how they hunted, but this was showing an unnerving level of confidence and intelligence. The Gugway, to the bear's right, began screaming in a blood-curdling way, that made me want to drop my rifle and cover my ears, but I stayed on the scope. The bear reacted exactly how you would think and turned to its right, dropped to all fours, and positioned itself between the Gugway and its cubs. Something told me to scan left and I could see the Gugway in that direction moving from tree to tree closer to the bear and its cubs until it was only a few trees away. It was still fifteen feet up the tree and Gugway on the right was shaking the tree it was in to distract the mother bear. The closer Gugway dropped out of the tree onto the ground and tried to grab one of the cubs, but the sow was too fast. It reacted before the Gugway could react. The bear and the Gugway were fighting when the second Gugway dropped from the tree and charged over, hitting the bear from behind. She turned to it, and was about to stand when the first Gugway jumped back onto it. It was a two-on-one fight, and the bear couldn't focus on one without the other attacking it. I was frozen in place watching the mother bear try to fight off the two Gugway and protect her cubs. She was trying her best but couldn't seem to stay on one long enough before the other made an attack on her and tried for her cubs. It was heartbreaking to watch. Finally, something in me snapped awake and I realized that this bear wasn't all that different from me. If I had gotten to my daughter that day, I would have fought just as hard as she is now. In a weird way, I was watching what would happen to this bear. This filled me with an intense sadness, and that was almost immediately replaced with rage. I wouldn't sit by and watch what happened to me happen to this bear. Some people would argue that what I was watching was just nature, but these gugway are not part of the natural order. I don't know exactly what they are or what part they play, but I do know it's not natural. I put my crosshairs on the gugway, calculated it was about 325 yards, and sent a round into its center mass. The loud shot echoed over the valley and I could see it lurch back from the hit. I pulled the trigger again and sent another round into its chest, two for two. The other Gugway must have noticed his partner was hurt and made the fatal mistake of taking its eye off the bear. Now it was one on one, and the mother bear was going to make this Gugway pay for attacking its cubs. The enraged mother never lost focus or even reacted to my shots, and as the Gugway shifted its focus to its partner the bear was on it. She had it on the ground and was thrashing it back and forth before it pushed itself away and managed to get back onto its feet. It looked to be the same height as the bear, and I could tell the bear had done some damage by its stance. The mother bear charged it again and the gugway tried to run to a tree, but the bear was too fast. I watched as the bear hit it from behind, and as soon as the gugway was on the ground the bear had attacked the back of its neck in her mouth and had began to shake it with more violence than I had believed was even possible. It became clear to me that when one-on-one with a grizzly, it could get the best of these things easily which made sense why they stayed further south away from the Grizzly's range. I watched the Grizzly finish off the Gugway, and then go investigate the one I had shot. I could tell it was still alive, and obviously, so could the bear. The Gugway didn't stay alive much longer. Once the mother bear was satisfied that the two Gugway were no longer a threat, she retreated into the dense forest with her two cubs. My adrenaline was coming down at that point, and I was becoming incredibly tired. I wanted desperately to look closer at the Gugway, but had no idea where the bear had gone and had no intention of becoming the next target of her protective instincts. I decided I would crawl into my tent and investigate in the morning. I awoke not long after daybreak and looked where the Gugway should have been, but they were gone. I don't think the bear came back and dragged them off, and I know they were dead, so there must have been another one that took them away, just like the others I had killed. From my experience, once one was killed, the others in the area would leave, and with two being killed in one night, I was sure if there were others they were long gone, so I decided to call it quits in that area. I was out of that area and back home by the next day, and I'll never forget that night. Watching the mother grizzly fight made me realize that the natural world had already been fighting back against these things long before I arrived, and it would be fighting long after I have stopped, and I believe that the natural world would win. I just hope I'm still here to watch the last Gugwe die. Whether it's by my rifle or by a grizzly's bite, both are fine by me. Hi Swamp Dweller, I just want to let you know that this podcast rocks and I hope it stays up for years to come. While listening to one of your latest episodes concerning crime, memories popped up in my head about the times me and my brother would hike together. For context, I live in Phoenix, Arizona, and try to escape the city life on the weekends by hiking in the mountains, exploring old sewage systems, and, my favorite, taking trips down into the Rio Salado to explore the swampy desert habitat and see what has changed things have changed since i last went and now i don't really want to go back at all it was a moderately warm sunday when we set out to hike down the rocky trails i had just gotten my driver's license and was excited to go driving off places by myself luckily i wasn't alone this time though as i have said my two brothers were with me and i was grateful for it because things had changed as we continued down the trails i realized that the amount of trash had doubled Plastic bottles, Safeway bags, and every possible litter imaginable was strewn about and dried in the riverbed. In the past, we had tried to clean some of it up, but now it would be pointless unless we had an entire team on the job. Further down the trail, a ranger came walking up. She turned into our trail and then walked across it into another, heading towards a homeless man that was, I don't know what he was doing. A tent was set up and he was kicking around some trash. She talked to him for a little while before departing. She headed back up the trail, going right past us, while the homeless man disappeared over a giant mound of dirt. Another homeless man had set up his tent nearby and he was eyeing us. He vanished into his tent, and we decided that it was best to leave this area. We hiked back the way we had came and left the trail farther back, which led us to the riverside. There we found an aluminum can with a lizard trapped inside of it portraying how this pollution was affecting the environment. I've come across several of these situations down here. Once, it was the same can design and same lizard species. Weird. But we ended up slicing open the can to release him, because the opening was too small for them to squeeze back through. But as we sauntered down the riverside, we came across another tent and a mound of toilet paper and human feces. We turned back and decided to head back down the river again but we ended up running into another homeless guy on the other side of the river, washing himself and drinking. We soon left and went back up to the main trail. Hiking past the mound of dirt, the first homeless guy had walked all the way around it and ended up making his way back up the main trail. My teenage brothers are usually careful and don't mess around, but this time the youngest one climbed up to the top of the dirt mound and looked down. "'Hey, there's a tent down here,' he said. "'Get down!' said my other brother, but he didn't. Instead, he continued down towards it, not even sure if someone was in there. Get your ass down here, I whispered fiercely. Since we were underneath a giant bridge, my voice echoed. My brother took no head. Instead, he picked up a rock and tossed it toward the tent. That was it. I marched up the mound and yanked my brother down, pushing him aside. He got really pissed at me, though, but he was being an idiot. Tampering around with homeless people's tents... Time to get to higher ground, I thought, then maybe home, especially after that had happened. We continued upwards and found many more tents and piles of pornographic magazines and rusty needles. I hoped that if we got into a confrontation with one of these homeless people, he would let us pass. But many years had passed since I had explored this part, so things were much different now compared to the last. As we reached a cluster of mesquite trees, we saw another homeless man, except it wasn't some short guy in a tent. This guy must have been 6'4", and he was no stork. He was well-built and muscular. He glanced toward us, then disappeared. But I had my head turned and didn't see which direction he went. But I knew it was time to go, especially with another homeless man slowly gaining on us. We fled into the brush, which had many tent-like structures slung over branches. But surprisingly, there wasn't really anybody there. This labyrinth of polluted brush with a thorny canopy overhead went on for quite some distance but that's when we heard something following us. I turned to my brothers. Did you hear that? They both nodded. Probably just thinking it was a rabbit or something to rationalize things in our brain so we didn't freak out further. We continued to crawl through the thorn bushes, but whatever was making those noises was getting closer and louder. I was pretty sure that it wasn't a rabbit at this point. It was big, much bigger than a coyote. It sounded like a human being, and it was crashing through the brush, getting faster and more intense. We could hear the footsteps in the dry leaves behind us. Run! I whispered, and we crawled, ran, squeezed, and scratched ourselves as we retreated blindly into the briars and bushes. Whatever it was had gotten even closer and louder. At this point, we had our knives pulled and were getting tired. If this person caught up, it would be our last resort, and we were ready. There! One of my brothers pointed. The bushes began to clear, and there appeared to be a way out of this dangerous maze. We literally threw ourselves out and scrambled up the side of a slanted boulder wall to escape the stalker. As soon as we made it out into the clearing, the guy had stopped his pursuit and crashed back through the brush. When we saw the park ranger's truck parked further down the trail over the wall, we knew we were safe again. But we didn't report anything to her. I mean, who would believe us? Instead, we trekked all the way back up and ran across the parking lot, piling into our Ford Focus. I haven't made any recent trips there to go hiking, and I don't plan on hiking there anytime soon. I've never really had paranormal experiences, but I cannot explain this one. I'm in college, and me and some friends, seven people to be exact, from my school went on a hiking trip. We had two experienced leaders. We drove to Zaleski State Park, which is in the Appalachian region of Ohio. It was early April this year and it was cold and everything was still dead from winter. After hiking miles into the forest, we set up camp at the backpacking campsite and there were a couple of other groups of people there as well. A few of them were friendly older couples and then two college-aged girls. Everyone was pretty spread out from each other We set up camp further away from everyone else. I have always been able to sense energies of places, and the energy in this area was not good. It was almost spooky. Each of us had individual one-person tents, and we formed kind of a cluster in this site, with my tent being in the back, so no one was behind me. Our cluster was also right next to the forest, because this backpacking site was like a big cleared-off square in the middle of trees. Fast forward, I'm dead asleep around 2 a.m., and I wake up to leaves crunching right behind my tent. I hear footsteps walking in circles around my tent, and they sort of have a heaviness to them that couldn't be a deer or a dog, and it also sounded like it was just two legs. I cannot make this up, this creature or person was circling my tent for a very long period of time, slowly creeping up to the sides of my tent, and then just stopping. It would sound like they were there just breathing outside of my tent before it would pick up and start walking again. I could very clearly hear a human being breathing from the mouth, or something that was very similar to a human being breathing from the mouth, like a light sort of heaving almost. I was shaking, too scared to unzip my tent and investigate. I kid you not, this occurred for hours on end, and it seemed like I was the only one awake. Out of nowhere, I see an illuminated light shape from my tent, although I couldn't tell what it was from inside my tent because it was all zipped up. It was like a warm glow and it didn't move, like a flashlight would. I was paralyzed in fear, I simply couldn't believe it was an animal. At some point I fall asleep due to sheer exhaustion, but I could hear the footsteps circling until I did. In the morning I questioned my fellow campers and hikers about it, and my leader admitted she heard the footsteps and noises as well, admitting it was bizarre and she would have investigated had she not been so groggy. One of the boys in the group said they also noticed the light that came on, but thought it was someone else in the group. Not a single person in the group went up to go to the bathroom or turned on a light that night. I've heard things about the Appalachian Regions being creepy and bizarre, and now I 100% believe it. I've leaned towards Bigfoot because apparently he is associated with light orbs, but I've never been a Bigfoot believer. But I'm telling you, this didn't feel like just any other bear. I was hunting for Black Bear one day, back in the early 2000s. The area I was hunting in was northern Clinton County. It's quite a hike to get to where I need to be. My ex-brother-in-law and I enjoyed the area and spent many a season scouting and hiking these lands before it was time to hunt. This part of the county is filled with long hollows, steep inclines, and hard-to-access trails. We both like to do our own thing and hunt on separate terrains. I would often dive down into the hollows while he scoured the ridge lines, hoping to get a shot at whatever I pushed over the tops. We both carried pretty bumped up two-way radios to keep up general idea of where we both were, although often the terrain made it too difficult for good reception. This day was a typical Pennsylvania bear season day. It was on the Wednesday of the season, third to last day of the brief season it was back then. The woods were quiet, with no distant whooping or yodeling of various opening day camps pushing drives through the woods. The weather was cold, gray, and windy when we separated to begin our hunt and continue throughout the day. I spent the day still hunting down this long hollow south of a little town in north-central Clinton County with the idea of meeting my brother-in-law at the top of a ridge that we agreed on sometime around 4pm, giving us plenty of time to hike together the next few miles back to his truck. After hunting all day, I found an old game trail that appeared to meander its way back to the ridgeline towards where I knew he would be waiting for me. After close to an hour, maybe around 3.30 or so, I made my way two-thirds of the way to the top, stopping often, scouring the slope for that jet-black fur of a roaming bear. Along the trail, I came upon a long-ago-used fire ring, It was very rudimentary in its build and appeared to be used maybe one time. The ring's rocks were covered in lichen and only about the faintest of traces of black from a long ago fire. I found it odd that a fire ring would be here, considering the steepness of the slope, but it was very small and somewhat of a level edge. There I figured I would sit and eat the rest of my packed food and sit still, hoping to catch a final chance to see a bear. All the while it felt odd somewhat unwelcoming, like I shouldn't be there or something. I almost felt like I was a forbidden interloper on someone's valued quote-unquote spot. I sat for maybe twenty minutes and thought that it was time to continue my trek upward towards my friend. As I stood up, I slung my backpack on and reached down to sling my rifle over my left shoulder. As I stood up, I heard my name called loudly. It didn't really sound like it was behind me, rather all around in my head. Just as I was going to turn around, my rifle was slapped off my shoulder. I felt the force, heard something slap against the wood of the stock, and crouched quickly to save my gun from dashing to the rocks. I grabbed it in the nick of time and quickly turned around with a mouth full of profanities, for whom I thought was going to be my brother-in-law jacking with me. There was nobody there at all, though. Absolutely no way anyone could have rushed off without me seeing or hearing them. I felt a sick feeling in my churning stomach chills throughout my body, muttering a few Hail Marys and sped up to the top of the ridge, met my brother-in-law, and quietly we hiked our way out of the woods to his truck in the spreading dark of evening. This has bothered me for years and I have not been back in those woods ever since." Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true hiking horror stories sent in by viewers just like you. As always, if you enjoyed these stories, please be sure to hit that like button as it helps me out a ton. The more likes this episode gets, the more YouTube promotes it in the algorithm, and that's incredibly helpful to the swamp growing. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please be sure to give this a 5-star rating over there as it helps me grow on those platforms, and it's very much appreciated. If you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I would love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. It's stories like yours that help keep this show going on a daily basis. I would love to know in the comments down below what story tonight was your favorite. I'd love to start a good conversation with you all. If you're on the go but don't have YouTube Premium but would still like to download and listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller Scary Stories no matter where you are, you can download them absolutely free from Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, iHeartRadio, and just about everywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. It's absolutely free and always will be. If you would like to support the Swamp outside of that, come check me out on Twitch, I stream multiple times a week over there. I do behind the scenes for these videos, play horror games, and more. You can find a link to follow me in the description. If you'd like to support us even further, maybe check out the merch store. We have t-shirts, hoodies, and more. I'd love to see you guys wearing some cool swamp threads. Don't forget to join me over on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And I'll see you all soon with another creepy episode.